Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. This is episode 46. Woo! We finally got over that 45 hump. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep moving. You didn't want to get stuck on 45, did no, you? No, I didn't want to get stuck yeah. on 45. I didn't like that number very well. So in episode 45, we were talking about some of your travels, and uh, we want to hear a little bit about the work at Peace House, and then I want to tell you about uh, what I've been up to traveling and an observation that I want to run past you. So, um, okay. yeah, it might get a little political, just so everyone knows. Oh, okay. This is the political one. Maybe, maybe. Okay, great. So I, I had a wonderful time. We have a place uh, in Portland called the Peace House. Um, and it's made up of folks old and new. Some have been at the place for at least 35 years. It was started as a sort of anti-war uh, movement and um, huh. pro-peace movement. Um, and they've been um, hosting... You know, like once a month Friday night things for who knows how long. And so um, different people come talk about different aspects of peace. And then people come from all over for this thing. We had people from Silverton. We had, you know, people from uh, Washington State all over. So they asked me to come talk about Native American peace traditions. And uh, they're quite a lively group uh, in terms of their questions and wonderful, thoughtful questions. And, and so I just yacked around for about 30 minutes and told some stories. And then, and then we opened it up and had a discussion for probably an hour. Hmm. It was great. It was at the invitation of my friend Michael Ellick, who's a great guy, great activist, um, and uh, one of the original you know, Occupy Movement people. Really? And one of the original... Um, uh, the new sanctuary movement. Uh, wow! People. Yeah, and he's a he's huh. really a, a gift to Portland to be here in this this area. Um, right now, he's working, I think, as a uh, consultant activist for the Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon. Okay, but, yeah. But yeah, Michael uh, invited me, and uh, uh, and then he's also uh, Michael's the one that with Edith and I started the hashtag I object. The uh, conscientious objector movement that uh-huh. we did. So um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun, you know, making a little trouble with him. Yeah, and uh, one of the one of the many people that I will miss in Portland. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, and it was good. And, and I think maybe rather than talk about what I talked about, that we'll just uh, they're supposed to get me the audio video, and oh, so we'll just maybe that'd be great. Put that into a, wrap that into a program. Absolutely. By the way, listener, if you hear some background noise, it's because Edith and Randy have a group uh, out here working on the farm right now. Yeah, we're doing a high school uh, youth camp, um, and um, they're out, you know, doing some things, moving things around, and we go down there in the mornings and the evenings, and we do some teaching and yakking around, and and yeah, it's turned out to be pretty fun. They've actually got their tent set up on the back of the property. Yep. They're living here. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Randy, I had a unique opportunity uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was the Friday night that you were at Peace House. I was driving across the country. And so my little sister and her family have decided to move to Portland and from Philadelphia. So I took the red eye overnight uh, to Philly and then had breakfast with my family. My dad came down from Nyack, New York. Um, I, both my sisters had lived in Philadelphia, so I had breakfast with everybody. And then I put my sister's dogs in their car and started driving across the country. Wait a minute. You put your sister's dogs yeah. in their cars? Yeah. yeah. In so, your caravan? Or how'd this work out? No, no, just their one car. 
But oh, I needed to get their car and their dogs across the country. Oh, you mean you took the dogs? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful trip. <laughs> now, there were two other interesting things. So my sister has twins, 20-month-old twins. Right. So they were going to fly with the twins, her and her husband, back to Portland and stay with my wife until I got there with their dogs, okay. and then they'd move into their new place. Right. So it's a pretty elaborate plan. Uh-huh. Well, I talked to my brother-in-law, who's a pastor in Montana, into coming with me. So he grew up in Philadelphia. So he flew in early, and he hung out with his parents, and then he got in the car with me. So it's my brother-in-law, myself, and the two black labs, and and then we drove uh, 12 states, five days. It was amazing. All right. So wait a minute. Let me get some of the logistics straight here. So you and your brother-in-law and two black labs. Yes. Okay. So your brother-in-law pastors in Montana. Yeah. But he's from Philly. Yeah. He grew up in Philadelphia. He has a fascinating story. What what part of Philadelphia? Northeast. So, I don't know Northeast so he, very well. Does he well. talk like a Philadelphian? Not anymore. He's lost that in Montana. Yeah, huh? yeah. It's, okay. It's a little yeah, I, I went to, you know, uh, uh, I did my master's work in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah I loved it. But, I mean, I, I don't really like big cities, but I, as much as I could love yeah. it, I loved it. You know? Well, you know, my, my middle sister went to Eastern in with Tony Campolo yeah. and uh, St. David's. Yeah. And I think that that's that nicer area out there a little bit. Yeah, that's a very wealthy area. Um, now this, she lives in West Philadelphia and on the Green Line. Okay. And then the sister that moved had bought a house in South Philly on Broad Street, just off Broad Street. So uh, I don't know Philly very well except for the neighborhoods my sisters lived in. Yeah, and of course there's, I have some friends out there. Shane Claiborne's out there. Yeah. Um, Joshua Grace, good good friend. Uh, Circle of Hope people, shout out, uh, Circle of Hope people, um, you know, all of these kind of really cool people who are living in yeah. inner city Philadelphia. There. there is a lot of cool things going on in, in Philly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind going out there and hanging out sometime and, and just connecting and networking yeah. with people. Now, have you ever gone and had, like, uh, Pat's uh, Philly cheesesteak? I did try or, that, Or yeah. Mike's? Yeah. 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 Huh. Uh, I like all chili Philly cheesesteaks. I'm not picky, and but I am surprised with how opinionated people are about yeah. their cheesesteaks. Well, I have an opinion about it too. Okay, but I think the secret is the bread. That okay, I and, really do. And the cheese seems to make a big difference. Cheese too. makes a difference. I mean, some people use cheese whiz, and some right. some people use cheese. But um, yeah, it's to me, it's the bread. The, the most people that try to imitate a Philly cheesesteak use the wrong kind of bread. So last episode, we talked about avocado toast, and now we're talking, <laughs> you know what I'm figuring out is it's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. And you and I haven't eaten yet, so that is what is happening. That's I'm just it. Figuring, we're Thank hungry. You. Well, there's two things I wanted to talk to you about uh, that I, I haven't seen you since I got back, and I wanted to talk about that I thought you, you would have something to say about. You know, as I drove across um, Ohio and that sort of post-industrial and then you get out into the the bread basket yep. um, of Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, and then you transition to more of the empty quarter in South Dakota, Wyoming, Eastern Montana. It's not really empty, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> and uh, and then you get into the Rockies, and you, you pop out in Eastern Washington, uh, still very rural, very uh, agricultural. Yeah. 
because I had these dogs with me, I had to make a lot of stops. Yeah, I could. I was imagining that. Yeah, but because <laughs> and, I had, but they both go to the bathroom at the same time. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, well, they both. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they were quite cooperative, so I appreciated Great. that. My four-legged friends there. Um, but because I had my brother-in-law, so like when we would stop, he would fill up with gas. I would walk the dogs, right? But I got to meet lots of interesting people. Oh yeah, especially with dogs, people talk. Yeah, to yeah. And if they had dogs and then are, they're running around, you get talking to people. And so as I came across those 12 states, I sort of realized why Trump won the 2016 election. Yeah, well, you got out of Portland. <laughs> yes. Now, this is what I wanted to talk about. So, you know, it's interesting that when you're on the left coast yeah. or in the big cities of the east coast life does look a certain way yep and then in the middle it does not look the same way nope and the values change the way that people configure themselves in community changes priorities but agriculture the way that they interact with land is different yeah, yeah. and so i just you know it was really eye opening to me because as much as I, you know, I had even predicted that Trump was going to win. I, I had blogged about that and, and, and said, you know, this is very possible. But as much as I sort of knew that theoretically, as I came across the states, I mean, it really sunk into me that we really have quite a diverse, not just geography, but a human geography that's, that, that, is laid out across this country and it's not one thing. Yeah. And, and let me add to your, uh, another layer. Uh, if, if you were a very Brown or black person, you would even have a very different experience driving through some of those places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, total side note, one of the gas stations we stopped in was on the very edge of the Rosebud uh, uh-huh. reservation. And I was the only white person pumping gas mm-hmm. out there and it was very funny because everyone else who was there was very aware of my presence <laughs> <laughs> it was uh it was just one of those memorable moments where i'm like i stand out here <laughs> <laughs> that's great um but we're in a political cycle now and you are a political person in fact until i met you i had never voted before and so You know, when you and I would have our conversations, I mean, you convinced me that I wasn't (coughs) sullying myself by getting down in the mud and wrestling with pigs, (laughs) that this is part of the real work. It's It's only one part, but it is part of it. And that I was actually neglecting an opportunity to impact people's concrete daily realities by uh, exercising my right not to vote. Yeah. And that, it's, it's kind of like the whole other thing about, you know, it's the journey, right? So it's not just like who you end up voting for. It's like, you know, how yes. informed you are and how you influence and how you, yeah. you know, and, and how your candidates are influencing others. Like, so Mark Charles, my Navajo friend is running for president. I heard this. And he, he is, I spent about five hours with him in Washington, DC. That was actually the highlight of my trip. Yeah. Well, that I was with Joshua, I was with Renee August. There were some cool people. I met Jonathan Wilson Hargrove and was able to, we'd met before, but never spent any time. That was good. There was just a lot of, um, uh, peep friends, friend making, you know, that was cool. Um, and, uh, but, but 
you know, I'm sitting out there at the summit, and now we'll get right back to your story because I know you got more to say. But um, and and we're sitting out there, and Mark Charles walks by. Now I know Mark Charles from various other things in the past, and I yell out, "Hey, Mark!" And he comes over and he says, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "Well," and I thought, "Well, he was there for the summit," and, he, and I said, "Same thing you're doing here." And he goes, "What's that?" And I I said, "The summit." And he says, oh, no, I just live across the street over here. I just happen to be walking by. I'm like, you're kidding. So he, he invites me to breakfast at his house on uh, the last day because I, oh, I had to spend an extra day to, to catch my train. So Saturday morning, I go to his house for breakfast, and he serves me this great uh, like uh, scrambled egg and Navajo taco sandwich Ooh. thing. <laughs> and uh, and then um, it's it was probably a mile and a half, two miles maybe, a mile and a half to the train station. And then he offered to walk with me to the train station because I was trying to get as much walking as possible. And, and then he pushed my luggage or pulled my luggage there half the time. So and then we sat for probably an hour and a half and and just chatted over coffee at the train station. So it was wonderful. Um, I was so impressed with him. Uh, I think you can probably go to like what markcharles dot com. We'll have to link to that. Um, and and especially go to his TED talk called "We the People." Yeah. And uh, and you'll see that you know I mean he's he's running to win. He says he's running as independent and. You know, I mean, reality says that's probably not going to happen. But my greatest hope is that he can change the conversation. Wow! So, um, if you want to hear a wider conversation, if you know, like, like he says, for example, if you think Donald Trump is the problem, you don't understand the problem. It's it's a whole lot a whole lot deeper and a whole Whoa. lot broader than that. So, so um, so anyway, yeah. So I'm I'm active, and you know, I'm. You know, uh, you know, I have my candidate who I would like to see. I, I've been, she's been my candidate for three years now, ever since I first discovered her. Yeah, and uh, I think she's the most intelligent and has the um, the greatest ability uh, and the clearest mind and the best plans in any other candidate. Um, and uh, she also, I would say, is the in in our Indian way. It's chiefs are people who look after the people who will take care of the people above themselves. I think in by the standards, ironically, by the standards that that I would judge a candidate, she and there's some great candidates. I'm not arguing with anybody now who's the best. But but in my opinion, um, uh, I'm, I'm going you know, if it comes down to it, Elizabeth Warren is the best candidate. Really? She is for the people. She's yeah. created things to help yeah. the average consumer more than anybody else that I know of. Yeah. She comes from low means. Um, and, uh, and I've been, you know, I mean, it was at least three years ago that I posted on Facebook, Elizabeth Warren for president, you know? Yeah. So, so I've, I've kind of been all over the place, huh. but I'm, I'm sort of settling in yeah. that right now. But of course, you know, we've got our choices that we have to make. And, yeah. um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that most everybody who's not voting for Trump will vote for whoever the Democratic uh, yeah. person is. But but I think what Mark has to say is extremely important huh. to understand this process and what's going on. Interesting. Funny side note about Elizabeth Warren. Um, so I, I can be a, quite a nerd sometimes, and I do that annoying thing where when someone says something that's not exactly right, I'll be like, um, 
actually, so we have this motion in my circle of friends, the guys who canoe together, where you, you push up your glasses on your nose and say, <laughs> actually. So I actually did this to somebody a couple months ago. They were telling me why they were, they were saying, like, you should support Elizabeth Warren. Uh. And I said, make the case. And uh, this person was laying out, you know, how she has plans and she's right in there, all the same things you just said. And But this person's in real estate and they said, and she's a capitalist. And I could not help myself and I knew not to do it, but I said, actually, <laughs> she's just a proponent of capitalism. She doesn't own any capital. It's not like she's a factory owner. She's not a capitalist. And I know it's a stupid little side note, but well, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> she she actually. I mean, it, there's all this crazy talk about socialism, right? Yes. You know, so we know what democratic socialism is not the old socialism, the old you know uh, stuff that everybody was afraid of and Bolsheviks and all the rest. But um, uh, Elizabeth Warren under, has a keen understanding mm-hmm. of those components so that they can work together. I think so. No, no, I, that's the funny thing is I actually loved her point. It was just a technicality that she's not actually a capitalist. And I, anyway, I just couldn't help myself. And afterwards I was like, I am that annoying guy at a cocktail party or a barbecue (laughs) who people will be like, nothing good. You can't let something go. Nothing slips past that guy. (laughs) All right. Let's get back on your trip. I feel like this is like travels with Charlie Steinbeck. (laughs) Travels with two of, Charlies. It kind of is, except the, you'll think this is funny. The two things I wanted to talk about is socialism and agriculture. Oh, so cool. we're doing fine. All right. So socialism is one of those scare tactics that gets thrown around by people who Yeah, don't. and even Lindsey Graham used the C word. Yeah, I was going to say they don't know the communism. difference between socialism and communism, yeah, which oh, are opposites. Man. Well, and they know these aren't true. They know this. They're just trying to rile their base. That's all. You think it's a cynical ploy? Absolutely. There's no way that oh, these these people, they're not as stupid as they lo- they look. Ah, really? Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I just assume it's ignorance. Oh, no. No? No. I mean, they, they are, Mitch McConnell knows what white supremacy is. Um, <laughs> Lindsey Graham knows what communism is. They're just using these to, oh. to stoke the fires of their base. Oh, jeez. All right. But I saw you on Facebook couple weeks ago like you're not afraid of the s word at all like socialism you freely throw that around yeah, i'm I, I would consider myself some some form of democratic socialist absolutely so ever since i saw you kind of publicly identify that way i've noticed that like for some people it's like something to be hedged against like to distance yourself a little bit saying well while i want to move to more of a collective approach and i'm not a socialist like that's the worst thing you could be, right? Well, it's it's just a name. I mean, this is all by degrees, right? Probably. Yeah. But I did want you to say why does that appeal to you? What's the what's the driving thing there? Well, it's more native for uh-huh. one thing. In 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 a, a capitalist economy, um, we, we we basically um, create a uh, a, a class that owns most of the wealth and then the the whole thing like the the free hand of the market is supposed to trickle down in our american system to everybody else right and largely that's based upon not justice but generosity of those who are shareholders and those capitalists 
<clears throat> which we know in this age it does not happen. Um, and this is where, you know, your Andrew Carnegie's and your Rockefellers and the rest, you know, those people were just giving money out hand over fist back in the day because they understood, like, if society's going to make it. Now, not that FDR and others weren't twisting their arms and saying, you're going to support my new deal and you're going to, you know, but, but, but there were, but, but nowadays, um, and, the uh, and some of the high tech companies do stuff, you know. But now it's all grants, and only certain type of people get the grants. And you know, there's um, there, there's the, the philanthropy has really lost its power, I think. Mm-hmm. And so capitalism really doesn't have a leg to stand on anymore because it leaves too many people mm-hmm. hurting, and there aren't the safety nets. And so all um, in a in a more socialistic system, safety nets are there. And safety nets are meant to take care of the most marginalized and disenfranchised among among you. And so, um, without those safety nets, um, there there can't be uh, any kind of a just society. Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be people who fall through the cracks. Always people who yeah. can't help themselves at that time in their life or whatever. And how we take care of the poor, how we take care of the immigrants. All of those things, how we welcome the immigrants, all of those kinds of things are, are really socialistic ideas. Um, and so, you know, I'm not afraid of that. I mean, if you, if you want to get technical, uh, there is, you, you can't put a, a new system on an ancient system. But if you look at the things that Jesus taught, he taught a much more socialistic mm-hmm. gospel than a much more, than a capitalistic gospel. So, um, wow. You know, you and I so often, one of the reasons I think we have a very, uh, fertile friendship and conversation is that we often arrive at the same place, but by totally different means. Mm-hmm. So I arrive much of the place that you do, but I come through a Western mind, uh, radical democracy. Mm-hmm. So I believe, I mean, I have a heart for actual representation. So that's why I'm suspicious of things like, you know, the, the electoral college or even the representative nature of Senate versus, you know, congressional seats. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm suspicious of all of that. Uh, like I wish factories uh, were owned by their workers mm-hmm. and it's okay if there's a CEO, but the CEO's salary is not determined by the shareholders, but by a vote of the workers mm-hmm. because they would probably say, Hey, that, that lady has a lot of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. To give us leadership here. And so she should make maybe five times more than us, three to five times more than us, maybe 10 times more than us, but not how it is now with 300 times more mm-hmm. than the lowest paid worker, yeah. right? That's just not right. Yeah. And especially for communities that are disadvantaged or marginalized, right? Uh, that there has to be some, not just equality in the system, but equity yes. in the system so that everybody, everybody has buy Everybody must buy-in. have equity. Yeah. yeah. So that everybody has buy-in. Everybody doesn't have to have equality. No. That's what people generally think of when yes. they think of socialism. Yes. Because that's the, the, the negative rap that, that was for so long hounded by capitalists, yeah. those who are making all the money and, and giving that negative press towards that. But it, it's that everybody has equity. Everybody has the ability. Yes. So I thought it was ironic that, that um, you know, and there's case after case after case where this happened, but where they took native land and they made us, we had um, uh, owners, uh, a, um, 
uh, common ownership, and then they made like the Dawes Act, and they split it up, and everybody had to be an individual owner. And then we found out that that was so that other um, white people could come in and steal that land yeah. from individuals, and they couldn't steal it from a tribe. And you know, but and and, and that selfishness wasn't in our. Um, nature enough yeah. and so they had to create a sort of a system that will allow us to be selfish and uh, and so they, they came in, they took all of our land, they took everything that we had and, and, and then they said now we want you to be good capitalists mm-hmm. so in other words we're going to take all your capital mm-hmm. for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and so that we can be capitalists and we want you to be like us but you don't have any capital to begin with. We did the same thing in Africa all the European countries did the same thing. They took all their capital yep. and they say, "Now resources." Uh, yes, yeah. let, they took all their ivory, their gold, yep. their diamonds, yep. and then they said, "Now be good capitalists." In fact, we're going to make you be good capitalists through the International Monetary Fund yeah. and the World Bank, most of which America runs, by the way. Um, and so, you know, it's a it's a, just a really unjust world, and so we have to come back to some form of a more either what you call radical democracy or or some sort of democratic socialism. Now, the interesting wrinkle for me is that I get to radical democracy because of my view of the church, my ecclesiology. Right. And so because of how I view the church, that the story of Pentecost isn't about speaking in tongues. It's about God's spirit coming to all people and that your sons and your daughters will prophesy old and young, that the high will be lowered, that the low will be raised up, valleys make a straight way for the Lord. Because of my view of the church being uh, decentered and democratized um, space, that uh, that's the appeal for me because the church has migrated away from that through Christendom and the Constantinian Compromise. Mm. The church has migrated towards that heavy-handed, hierarchical, top-down right institution but the dream of the radical democratic participation is alive still it's just that it's migrated out of the church and unfortunately is housed in democracy yeah so in our indian way um you know to be greedy is like the worst thing you can ever be huh. because if you are a group whose survival depends on cooperation, you can't have some people saying, oh, I want all of this and you can't have any. Um, It doesn't work that way. And so to be greedy um, is, is not to, to, to live in reality. Mm. It's to say, I'm going to take resources that should belong to everybody. Um, And so um, you have things that happen. Like, for example, one time I visited uh, Cahokia, yeah. Which was one of the great civilizations. One, there were hundreds and maybe thousands of Cahokias, but but the myth is that there's just one, and it's it's located outside St. Louis, where the famous hills are. Yeah, it's the big, big mounds and everything in the, the the city. They think Cahokia could have had as much as forty thousand people at one point. Um, it was the largest city in America before Philadelphia. Wow. Um, but there were, like I say, hundreds of Cahokias, maybe thousands of Cahokias, but. Um, so there's this one mound, and, and a, um, a person is buried there in this, this particular burial mound. And their interpretation was, um, and this must have been a really wealthy person, because all of there were all these shell gorgets and all these uh, other kinds of gifts, or, or not gifts, but yeah. things that are of high value that were buried with this person. Yeah. So they were thinking, like, the same thing they say about pharaohs. They take all their stuff yeah, with yeah. them in a... And, and and I just said, well, what 
why do you have to come to that conclusion? She said, well, there's no other conclusion. I said, sure there is. I said, based on what I know about our indigenous people, that the value that you said would have been horrible. No one would have, would have um, accepted a greedy person like that. Well, she said, well, what other interpretation could there be? I said, he was a person who was so generous that when he died, everyone gave back. Huh. And they put their nicest things in there with him. And she didn't buy it, right? Huh. But it didn't even make sense to me to know that a communal society <laughs> yeah. doesn't live and have greedy people. In yeah. It. So, you know, my thinking on this really changed about twelve years ago because you know I had been raised in an environment where we were anti-evolution, like Darwinian evolution, mm-hmm. and I was actually taught a misunderstanding of the idea of the survival of the fittest, and I thought it was like the most. Uh, uh, mean-spirited, dog-eat-dog, right, uh, environment. And then I read this book, I think it was called The 10,000-Year Leap. But anyway, it talked about um, how mutuality and cooperation is the only way that s- civilizations could have moved from the, um, you know, the, the hunter-gatherer societies right. that we know up into the larger organized way, and that once I realized that mutuality and cooperation are how we as humans survive, it's how we exist in the world. We need each other. Yeah. It really resonated Absolutely. with me, not just spiritually, but politically. And so that for me is the appeal. Now, the downside is I'm not sure that this established government that we have is the best for uh, to trust with running the the social right um, structures, so I, I know that there are some built in problems, and that we'd have to make some adjustments as we go. Yeah, not not that there's any built in problems now. <laughs> Exa- no, that's true. We're just talking about different problems. But for me, the appeal of a what do you call it a radical democracy or a social or I like collectivist or collective approach mm-hmm. to politics and society. That's why that appeals so much to me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. So the last thing I wanted to touch on with my trip across the country is agriculture and I, how much it resonated, came back to my memory with, with you saying, if there is no agriculture, there is no culture. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe how much of this country is crops. Yeah. Absolutely. It is wild when you spend day after day driving through field after field, farm after farm, seeing livestock and crops of, of various types and different approaches to farming depending on the terrain. Yeah, and, and, and realizing, too, that you know a lot of those crops aren't really for food. I know. Yeah, and a lot, some of them are for uh, cattle, which translates to food. Some, but much of those are for storing yeah. so they can be used as bargaining chips yeah. for trade. I know. So as I'm driving across the country, the news comes on about China um, punching back over Trump's tariffs, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there was this weird stat about the percentage of the corn that is grown in this country. Mm. Either the large majority, I think it's like eighty percent of it, mm-hmm. either becomes feed for cattle or gets shipped to foreign countries. Yeah, and you just think, well, and, and farmers get paid for not shipping their corn corn too. 
and wheat and uh, soybeans and etc. Um, depending on what the the United States is trying to do with trade with these other countries. Right, and you know I listen to the Canadian news every morning, and so um, this couple mornings later there was a thing about how the Alberta uh, had called both Saskatchewan and uh, Manitoba for the wheat farmers mm-hmm. because Trump's tariffs on China are now impacting Canada's shipping. It somehow had a, a domino effect, and they're like, ex- like they're, they may not even bring the crop in this fall because it, financially it's going to cost more to harvest it than they're going to be able to get back from it. Wow. It was some concern like that, and I just thought, you know, we live in this globally interconnected world. I mean, I don't really believe in the butterfly effect, like that one mm-hmm. thing and that causes a hurricane on the other side of the world, except when it comes to global trade. Yeah. It seems to me that our interconnection at this point, like we truly have set up a system where the cards are leaning in on each other, and we don't stand on our own independently as a mighty nation, we are leaning on so many other countries and they on us. There's a mutuality and a reciprocity that we need to take into account uh, when we're making our political decisions this season. Yeah. So, folks, we haven't really talked about anything controversial in these <laughs> last few minutes. So, um, you know, but it, but if you come up with a question yeah. or an opinion about something, yeah. please let us know. This Just is contact a safe us. space to do that. <laughs> the we wanted we call this a journeying journeying space. That's right, and we are on a journey together. So, we would love your feedback. If you have yeah. comments or questions or concerns, pushback. If you have good resources to send our way for further conversation, we also want eleventh at three p.m. This is Sunday afternoon at three p.m. We're going to have a Zoom live podcast recording. We would love to hear your voice. Uh, come to the table. Uh, bring your unique perspective or, or, or uh, insight and be a part of the conversation. We're really looking forward to that. And we want to thank our Patreon supporters for making that possible. Yeah. So thank you, Patreon supporters. We appreciate that. We are basically still moving on. I mean, we, we still got to pay for some stuff. We pay for gas when we travel. We pay for food when we eat. We pay for coffee. That hosting we fees. Yeah. So hosting fees, et cetera. Yeah, our, all of our stuff that we have to do online. So, you know, it, it's not like we don't need your support. So just know that we do. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been episode 46, and we will look forward to seeing you in it. Episode 47. Peace out.